How's everybody today? Come on, Resonate Church, let me hear you make some noise. It's Valentine's week. You feeling the love? Oh, the guys just had fear shoot through their bodies. It's all right. It's all right, boys. We're going to make it. I'll see you next Sunday. Come on, we're going we're gonna to show up for the ladies this week. Come on, right? Well, well. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble this soon. Uh, let's get to the Bible. I do want to, uh, before we get into this last week of Hey DJ, I want to take a moment and I want to just celebrate something just fantastic that's happened in the last two weeks in the life of our church. Two Sundays ago, we launched 25 small groups to start this season, this winter spring season of our groups. We run our groups three times a year, and this is the first time of the year. We run it for 13 weeks in this session, and I just want to celebrate that we have 273 people registered to 25 small groups. Come on, that's just amazing. We thank God for the connections among us, and I just want to let you know, if you, haven't, you, know, if you, don't, if you still think you got to find your crew, there's opportunity. You can find online, anytime, our groups directory. It's right there on our website, weareresonate.ca. Don't think you missed the boat. We're still waiting, hanging out for you, and we're ready uh, to invite you into one of those groups. Find your fit, find your crew. And I think this is an important little, uh, little announcement, especially in light of this Hey DJ series on our thinking, because if we want to change our thinking, come on, somebody, we got to get around some people that challenge our thinking and who love us as well. And so uh, I'm excited for what God is, has done in the launch of our groups, actually uh, what he's going to do in the next 11 weeks as we walk through this session together. As Pastor Troy said, this is week five of Hey DJ, and it has been a really great series. I've talked to a number of people that this has been really an impactful series for them. And here's, here's what the concept of the series was behind Hey DJ, was that we've all got these thought soundtracks. There's some thoughts that are playing through our minds on a regular basis, and so often that soundtrack stays the same from week to week, even month to month, year to year, even for some of us for our whole entire lives. But I believe that this is the good news of this series, that God's given us the ability to go ahead and change that track. In fact, we need God's help to be able to change that track. Because for all of us, there's elements of that thinking that's not leading us into the full life that God has for us. And so this series has been all about how we can, uh, how we can take captive every thought. In fact, that is the theme verse of this entire series. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want us to go ahead and read this all together. Come on. This is all together time. One more time at the very end of this series. Let's read this. It says, take every thought. Come on, we got to say that again. Every, you got to be with me. Come on, take every thought captive to obey Christ. And here's the great idea behind that. Really, the central idea of the series is that we entertain any thought almost any time. But if we are going to take some new ground in 2019, if we're going to uh, change the soundtrack that is not playing the beats that it should be playing in our mind, then we are going to need to put a filter on our thinking. And praise God, we can do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, uh, uh, throughout the series, we started with fear. And then we got into week number two. Uh, we, we talked about decluttering, the tidying up with Marie Kondo. Kind of, how do we, we've got 30,000 thoughts on average a day. 
Sometimes it just feels like a cluttered mess. And I got to go in there and I got to begin to put a filter on my thoughts. But then I thought, you know what? We got to also do the opposite. Come on, we see this in Scripture as well. Not only do I need to begin to put a filter on the multitude of thoughts going through my mind, but come on, somebody, how many of us know that sometimes we can just get stuck thinking about one thing? Anybody ever been stuck, just fixated, stuck thinking about that one thing? You got 30,000 thoughts a day, and 29,999 of them were that same person you couldn't get out of your mind. Rich and I... (coughs) We first got married. In fact, in a moment, we're going to go to the Bible and see that this kind of thinking happens you know, to all of us and even to great leaders. But I first want to tell a story. When we first got married, and how many are glad to have Pastor Rachel back in the house? Had to miss three weeks because the plague went through our house. If you're not clapping right now, I'm not judging you, but that's my wife we were clapping for anyways. <laughs> I know your hands, you got glue on your hands yesterday, and I'll be praying for you. So, um, Rachel, Pastor Rachel was back in church. Now, when we first got married, this was this many years ago, uh, we went on a trip to New York together. And uh, since that time, we've had three marvelous, wonderful kids that we love and adore with our whole hearts. But how many people know sometimes you just wish you could go back to those days when you could just say, let's go to New York, honey, get Cold Stone ice cream in Times Square at 2 a.m. because we can't. Breathe in. Let it go. So we went to New York together, and we went to uh, the Lion King. And I wanted to show some visual evidence of this. Here's a little picture of us outside. You see the Lion King show there behind us. And look at this photo. Come on. Taken on an actual camera. I love the clapping. He's so generous. You remember the day when you had to carry around some sort of little satchel, some sort of little purse, some sort of little bag that had the little string on it that you had to tie around your hand? Because you're walking through Times Square and you're like, I got to hold this tight. Someone's going to come along and they want to want this little camera that's in Because you couldn't put it in your pocket. These things were huge. And that was on a, we're old enough to have photos in our marriage taken on an actual, I had to take off a fanny pack to take that photo right there. So we're excited to go see the show. We go inside the show. We sit down. And there's a woman sitting in front of us. Woman or man, I don't know. Why did I jump to women? I always get in trouble this early in the message. I think it was a woman. My mind's not that clear because all I remember was that it was a large hat. It was, it seemed like, it seemed like one of, like just like, it seemed like it was like three feet off of her head. I mean, this was, it seemed like an excessive hat to wear to a show where we all just spent $3,000 to get in the door. So she's wearing this hat. It's really, realistically, it's probably only taken up 5% of my view. Nevertheless, she's wearing a hat. And I remember as the first act went on, I'm just fixated on the hat. All I can see is the hat. We get to intermission, and I go up to Rachel, and I'm like, babe, can you believe that person wearing the hat? I just, and I, because Rachel's shorter than me, I know she's going to be fuming. And she looks at me, and she says, what hat? You ever just been stuck thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about? You ever just been fixated thinking about that one thought. What do you do when every thought in your mind is fixated on one negative thing and it's not the strong, love, joy, growth mindset God's called you to walk in, but it's the, it's the angry, it's the negative, it's the burnt out, it's, the t- it's just it's all the weight and all the baggage, but it's just like it's, I'm fixated on that thing. Well, actually, we see in the Bible, 
even amongst one of uh, the Bible's great leaders, we see this tendency that we all have to get caught up, fixated, thinking about the wrong thing. Uh, the story I want to talk to you about today comes out of 1 Kings chapter 19 of the life of a man named Elijah. Now, Elijah has just won a spiritual victory. Uh, really, in fact, it's been national revival. Nation has been away from God. So he, he challenges these prophets of Baal, and you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, hey, why don't you call on your God, see if you'll light your sacrifice, and then nothing happens, and then he calls on God, and God sends fire from heaven, and as you can imagine, everyone in the nation is like, okay, God is God, and it's national revival. And the very next thing that happens is the king's wife, Jezebel, sends a message to Elijah that I'm going to have you killed by tomorrow. What do you do when you've just experienced one of the greatest victories of your life, but then all of a sudden there's this fear thought that comes along? Well, he's faced death threats before, and he's actually faced them quite confidently before the king and his wife Jezebel had tried to kill all the prophets in the nation. And nevertheless, Elijah had been strong. In fact, he'd shown up right on the king's doorstep and said, hey, I'm here. And in the midst of that death threat, he'd been confident. But then when it comes to this particular threat, he runs in fear. And this is what the Bible says in verses 3 and verses 4 of 1 Kings 19. It says, then Elijah was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. That's so important because it's telling us, he's saying, I'm walking away from the ministry. I don't, I'm not going to do this career anymore, this prophet, man of God thing. I'm done with it. I don't need you anymore, servant. I'm going my own way. Now we get to verse 4. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came, and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked God that he might die. Elijah gets stuck in his thinking. He's just seen one of the greatest victories of the Bible, national revival. Rather than celebrating that victory, mere hours later, he is stuck in discouragement so great that he says, I want to die. He's not thinking about the fact that God, if God could just send fire from heaven, then he could be with me in this moment right here. No, he's stuck. And he's thinking about the wrong thing. What is it that you have a tendency to have your thoughts fixated on that's not from God? What is it for you? What's the track that gets playing in your mind that just gets stuck? And it's like, it's like that bug hitting your windshield on that sunny day as you're driving through the Rocky Mountains. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Outside your window is one of the greatest views in all of creation. But the only thing that you can see is the little guy that couldn't make it over the glass. Come on, you're just fixated on that little guy on the windshield. This is us. This is how we do life. What <coughs> is it for you that you tend to get fixated? I want to talk about a couple of things that we tend to over fixate on in our thinking. And we see these in the Bible. We see this first one in particular, and you can just nod along if you struggle with these or you know about these, you've, you've had these things before. First thing that we tend to overfixate on in our thinking is our perceived weaknesses. Come on, our perceived weaknesses. This is, this is what happens for Elijah. We read this together. It said, he himself went that day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under the tree, and he asked that he might die, and this is what he said. It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. 
Now watch this next portion of the text. What is the thing that he's fixated on in his broken down thinking in this moment? This is actually surprising. He says, for I'm no better than my father's. Isn't it interesting that Elijah started out with fear as the issue in his thinking? But you notice the thing that he gets fixated on and leads him to the place of essentially saying, I wish I wasn't me. The thing that he gets stuck on is, I'm no better than my father's. It's his perceived weakness. It started out being afraid of Jezebel, but then it was looking back and thinking, I'm a failure and I wish I wasn't even me. What I've observed, honestly, what I've observed amongst people that are constantly growing, they have a growth mindset, they're constantly taking new ground in their relationship with God, in their relationship with others, in their career, really in whatever venue of life you want to talk about. What I've noticed is that people like that, they, they tend to have this similar thing to their thinking. Like you and I, they mess up on a daily basis. Because guess what? None of us are perfect. I, am, I do my best to communicate from this platform every single week that thank God there's anointing on my life and I have courage and strength. But listen, I am by no means a perfect pastor. Every single one of us is busted up and far from God, apart from God pulling us in. It's, strength, it's all Jesus. But what I've noticed with people that grow and are constantly maturing is they have this Similar thing. They don't wake up today fixated on yesterday's failure. You know, fixated has never led to fixing anything in your life. The fixation never leads to the fixing. There's something about this mindset, the people that are, have a growth mindset, that there's something they do. It's not that they're not aware. They don't bury the fact that they need to learn they don't bury the fact they need to grow. They got people in their life that they are going to and saying, hey, I need to confess something that's going on in my life. And they've got people in their life or, or even they're spending some time thinking, how could I have lived today better? They're doing those things, but then they're getting on up out of the cycle of ruminating about that thing and moving on to setting some intention about who they want to be today. This is something I've learned from some leaders and some mentors in my life is that this... Listen, we all want to have this kind of thinking, right? Like, there's no one in the room that's like, like you could not even be a Christian in the room today, but you're still like sitting here nodding along, right? You're like, I totally need that kind of thinking, right? I think, I think we'd all say that we want to have a growth mindset. We want to be maturing. We want to be, we want to be moving on and up in our lives. We all want that kind of thinking. We all want to get unstuck. The challenge is in all of our lives, I think it's just we don't have triggers to, to remind us to set new intention. We need triggers to remind us to do this. And so some mentors and leaders in my life have, have taught me how to do this. And so this is what I do, my own personal disciplines and practices. I will take five minutes, the start of every day, and I'll just journal out some thoughts of what this day needs to look like or what I'm thinking about for this day. And one of the things I'll do is I'll actually answer this question every single day is, is what's one word to describe who I'm going to show up as today? This past week, there was just a, a, words that came for me and were words, if you will, of the day. This past week was, one day it was courage. One day it was love and empathy. One day it was worshiper. Uh, 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 one day it was integrity. 
just starting every day. And this could be any day. It doesn't matter how the day is starting out. Maybe I'll have an appointment with someone I lead. Or maybe I have a, a, a bit of a time to just be with myself and be in some planning. No matter what it is, I'm going to show up early to that appointment. And I'm going to set aside some time for some journaling and setting some intention on what I want to do that. And doing it prayerfully. Because please understand that we can all think that we could do this on our own. But we got to show up and say, okay, God, here's who I think I want to be today. But I'm going to need your help. In fact, we could rewind it a little bit further than that. The better way to approach the question is, God, who would you want me to be today? What's one word to describe what you want to do in my life today that I'm going to need some of your help with? Now, some of y'all, I know, I, like, and I get it. You got kids that get up at 5.30 a.m. and they're just go, go, go the rest of the day. And you're like, pastor, journaling, how about surviving? And so for you, it's not going to be journaling. I get it. But what's the trigger? You still probably get into your car on a daily basis and start it up. And you can put on some tunes for those kids in the back. Maybe it's going to be driving away from your house that's going to be the trigger to say, what's the one word to say? I I'm aware of how yesterday didn't go that, but what's the one thing, God, that you want me to be thinking about today? That's my word for this morning. As I got up this morning, I journaled this morning, worshiper. Worshiper. Man, I want to be worshiping Jesus right now in this moment. And the way I'm communicating with you. Oh, I thank God that this might be helpful for you. But I care a lot more about the way that my life is praising him in this moment right now than I do even about what you're thinking about my words. Why? Because I started today saying, this is what matters to me today, God. I want to worship you. I want to be a worshiper today. So Elijah gets stuck over fixating on his perceived Weakness. Here's another one that we get stuck on uh, so easily in our thinking. Come on, this is all of us. We get stuck thinking about our perceived physical flaws. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul <coughs> is talking about what some of his critics say about him. And he says, some of you are, I love that this is in the Bible. Some of you are saying, Paul's letters are harsh and powerful. But in person, come on, he is a, say this with me, weakling. What a terrible word. In person, he's a weakling. and He's got nothing worth saying. Isn't it interesting that perhaps the most influential person in Christian church history, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, is acutely aware of what others have criticized and critiqued about his physical appearance. We do this. And rather than looking in the mirror and seeing eyes of grace, a warmth of smile, and generous hands, we look and we're like, oh, I don't want to see that thing. Maybe you're the kind of person that turns to not look at it, right? You're just like, you've got a good side or a better side, however you want to look at it. And that's just the side that you're going to look into. Or you might be the other kind of person. I don't know if this is brave or worse or better. I don't know. But you turn and you just want to look right at that flaw. It's like, I'm going to stare at it. Here's, I believe, a word from God for you today. Stop looking at the hat. There is a thousand things going on in your life and in your body that are beautiful. And Come on. You are a Broadway show, baby. You were put together meticulously. Stop focusing on the hat in Jesus' name. So we do this. We, uh, we, perceive, we, we, we fixate on our perceived weaknesses. We fixate on our perceived physical Flaws. There's lots of things we fix. We talk about these all day. 
We fixate on past hurts. Injustices, and they're real, and they've been done to you, and it hurts, and maybe you need to process those things, and that's fine, and that's important to do. I'm not saying that we should just black out the bad, just try and, no, I'm all about the process. (coughs) My wife's a therapist. I'm all about the process. But maybe today you just need this thought in your mind, especially as it relates to past hurts. I just, I've only got so much mental real estate, and I'm done with you taking up that much. You can still be there, and I'm still going to work on you. (laughs) But you don't get this much territory. So Elijah actually fails the fixation test in his thinking to the point where he wants to die. Now, God is so good. And I preached this story before recently. I don't know whether it's this year or a couple years ago. I was thinking about it as I was reviewing this text so maybe you'll know the story, but Elijah's sitting there under the tree, and God in his incredible grace just comes and elevates him and shows up in that place of busted, failed, broken down thinking, elevates, restores, puts back the call on his life. In fact, you might know the story, is reveals himself to Elijah in a still small voice, like just, I'm, I'm very close to you, Elijah. So then we go on from this place in the story, and Elijah then, he gets back into, lifted back up by the grace of God, and now he begins to mentor what will be his protege, Elisha. And I, so I love this about Resonate Church, that there's people, you're brand new to the church, and so I, I mentioned these names, and you're like, never heard of these people before. And this is going to be tricky for you, because Elijah mentored Elisha, and I get it, it's tough. Should have given the guy a new name before they did that whole thing. But Elijah... Mentored Elisha. So Elisha's the younger guy. And what we're going to see as we begin to move forward through the text and on into now 2 Kings is that Elisha's going to face almost the exact same test Elijah faced. Someone's going to show up and going to want to take his life and he's going to face it completely different than his predecessors. He's not going to overfixate on the problem. He's going to see bigger. He's going to see God. He's going to see God's hand on this thing. There's, there's a shift that happens. So let's, let me give you the context of the story. So now we fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're reading about Elisha, the younger, the one who was mentored. Now, he's a prophet of God, and God keeps telling Elisha where the enemy is going to come and try and attack the king of Israel and the king's army. It's the army of Syria that's actually coming against them. Every time the army of Syria, Syria wants to come and attack, God tells Elisha where they're going to show up and attack. And Elisha passes on the message, and as a result, God keeps, God keeps delivering the king of Israel. And it's a beautiful thing. It's like God just keeps giving the coordinates to Elisha. Don't go here. Stay away from there. There's just a constant warning about where not to be. But then this awesome thing happens where, maybe it's not awesome, it's just it's amazing that that now the king of Syria says, listen, I've been trying to get the king of Israel. It's not been working out because of this guy, Elisha. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go and kill Elisha. Never mind the king, the guy that's got the coordinates. This is amazing to me. seems a little bit foolish. If God's always giving the coordinates of your army to this guy, why do you think you could show up and find him anyways? Nevertheless, the king of Syria 
being not the wisest man, decides, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and kill this guy that always knows where I am. And what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6? The king of Syria shows up on Elisha's doorstep and God didn't say anything to Elisha about the army that was coming his way. Excuse me? You've been giving me the coordinates for years for somebody else. But when that army wants to come and take me down, it's radio silence, God. What do you do when God changes the strategy? What do you do when God changes up the plan? This year, it's a guy in our church made an absolute all-in move for God in 2018, actually not 2019, just went all in for God. Just so, I just love it. Started, at the start of the year, he, he admittedly would say not really engaged very much in the, the call of God in his life. But then just really God calling him and he got involved on one of our teams, on the dream team, and started giving regularly, started attending a small group, then started running a small group. I mean, just like next step after next step. And then we started celebrating together because out of all these moves that they were making in their relationship with God, and please understand, this, these moves were being made in the midst of a busy corporate lifestyle. Move after move, but then God starts blessing with miracle after miracle. He'd come to me and he'd say, Pastor Shane, man, I just, I've been making this move in my relationship with God. I've been getting closer and I've been thinking, you know, I, re- I don't know if I could really sacrifice like this because it's going to cost my family so much if we're invested over here in the kingdom of God. And then he starts coming to me. He's like, man, this is so crazy. But my kids just are like, they're awesome. They're like loving God. And we're having like worship times together. And it's just totally changing our family. And God's moving. And it's miracle after miracle after miracle. Oh, it's so good. Then one morning, we show up to church at the same time. And we're coming over from Dream Team Parking. I don't know if you know this, but our Dream Team basically park through the woods and down some sort of hole. Uh, so we're coming over from Dream Team Parking, and as we're walking through the woods, he turns to me and he says, I got let go from my job this week. What do you do when God changes the plan? What do you do when the strategy of God that looked so good to be telling you where that army was going to be showing up, to be... <laughs> Give me some buckleys. What do you do when God changes the the strategy. Well, there's a couple of responses in this story. The first one we see is the response of the servant. It's in 2 Kings 6, verse 15, and it says, The servant of the man of God got up early and went out. Behold, there was an army with horses and chariots encircling the city, and Elisha's servant said to him, Oh no! No kidding! This is our default reaction. Oh, no. Have you been there lately? So many people in our church right now are so sick. This, like, I heard about someone came down with scarlet fever. I'm like, has anyone had that in 200 years? What is scarlet? This is what someone in a Victorian dress last had and died of 300 years ago. And now your child has this thing? Oh my goodness, help. I'm not a doctor. Some, some of you are like, man, this thing is everywhere. I'm not a doctor. 
This is what we do. Kids in the hospital. Another couple in our church last week, talked to them last Sunday night. I said, hey, why weren't you in church today? You said, that's not how I went about the conversation. But I phoned him up. I was like, hey, you know, how you going? Turns, I, I knew that there was something going on. I phoned him up. His wife had had emergency day surgery. They were thinking about coming to the 930 service. She was. And he was like, no, honey, you're not looking so good. We're going to go to the hospital. They t- go to the hospital. Next thing you know, they're having surgery. We face these things in our lives. And it's not easy all the time. And even though we're making next step after next step, and we're seeing God move, God's doing great things. God's, and yes, God is working miracles. Come on, we celebrate them in Jesus' name. Come on, we celebrate that God, we serve a God of miracles. What do you do, though, when in that moment it didn't look the way that you thought it should look? Well, for most of us, it's, oh, no, but watch Elisha's response. I love this. <coughs> Elisha. <laughs> goes right after his servant's thinking. He says, hey, here's what you should have in your mind. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, come on, now let's do something spiritual. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. So there's a spiritual army there, and it's bigger than the one that showed up to take down Elisha. So I want to take it all the way full circle back to the beginning of the Hey DJ series. Because we started on this thought of fear. How do we get to the place like Elisha, where the army shows up on the doorstep and oh no is not our first reaction? I love this about this story. Elijah failed this test. But then God showed up, lifted him back up, really none of his own doing, just a complete act of God's grace, lifts him back up, restores him. And I believe in that moment changed Elijah's thinking. But here's the beauty of it. He didn't just change Elijah's thinking. No, when you begin to change your thinking, it changes the thinking of the next generation. Because then when they hit the same thing that you just hit and said, oh, no, and wanted to die under a tree with, they look out the window and tell the servant, hey, you don't got to be afraid. There's a Christian neurosurgeon scientist, neuroscientist, get it right. We'll fix that for the 1115. There's a Christian neuroscientist, and her name is Carolyn Leaf, and she wrote a great book called Switch on Your Brain, and... um, there's this one part of the book where she talks about how your thinking impacts your DNA. Like, it's so cool. <coughs> so if you're constantly thinking thoughts of like fear and anxiety and frustration, it impacts your DNA. To the point your DNA like shrinks up and in fact even turns off some of the coding. But then the opposite is also true. I mean, God wired you in such a way that when you think about the thoughts that God wants to give you, by the way, like love, joy, peace, come on, the fruits of the Spirit, what God desires for you, what the Spirit is constantly wanting to produce in your life. When you think about those things, what happens? Your DNA lengthens and reverses those issues that got caused by the negative ways and fixations in our thinking. 
So here's the great news of the Hey DJ series. When you change your thinking, you not only change your moment, you not only change that moment for the people in your orbit, you change the trajectory of the next generation. And how good is it that we serve a God who wants you to pass on freedom? And we serve a God who wants you to pass on confidence. We serve a God who wants you to pass on faith. In fact, he's designed you in such a way that that's exactly what you can do. But it's going to take a shift. And you can't do it on your own. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're over fixated on a perceived weakness. You're over fixated on a perceived physical flaw. You're over fixated on a, on a wound in the past. And right now in this moment between you and God, in fact, I'm gonna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Right now in a moment just between you and God, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is here right now in this moment to say to you, stop staring at the hat. There's a bigger picture I, I'm calling you to see. Let go of the fixation because there's Monday's coming and it's a new day of a, a growth mindset, a free mindset, a confident mindset. Oh, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect on Monday. I'm just saying we're going to get before God tomorrow and we're going to say, God, what is it that you want me to be today? Because you're the top shelf in my life, God, and I'm, I'm after you. And I can't change my thinking on my own. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't have a relationship with God. And the one thing you do know is that, yes, you've not been able to change your thinking on your own throughout your life. And so you're in this place. And, and in this place today, you'd say, you know what, today, Pastor, before this service ends, I want to I wanna receive the invitation that God has given to me to be set free and saved and freed by his grace. If that's you in the place today and you'd say, yeah, I maybe don't have every question I have answered in my mind about what salvation is, but but I've heard you talk about this, God. Here's, here's what salvation is. It's a gift from God on the basis of your faith. And if you're tired of being stuck with where you're at apart from God, and today you want to make a move in that relationship and receive his invitation to life and freedom and eternal life, would you take a moment and just slip up your hand? No one's looking around. <coughs> Raising your hand, all we're going to do in a moment is pray a prayer together. But just keep that hand up and just say, yeah, that's me in the place. We won't send you out or embarrass you in any way. No, I just want to pray a closing prayer with you before we dismiss this service. You'd say, yeah, that's me in the place, Pastor. Pray with me. Whether you raise your hand or you wanted to, come on, let's all pray this together. Come on, church, support those who are praying this from their heart today. Say, dear Jesus, give you my life. I'm going to follow you. Because I believe that you died and that you rose again so I could be totally forgiven, fully freed, confident before God because of what you did for me. And I receive and I believe. Help me follow you and thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, come on, church. Let's celebrate those who made that decision.
in the place this morning. Hey, DJ! <laughs>